Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Grumpy Biker Show. In this episode, we're talking all things track day and our recent adventures to Cadwell Park, a little bit on the world superbikes, the MotoGP, and of course, the Northwest 200. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. As always, you are listening to Joe, your host, and with me, of course, is the Grumpy Biker himself, uh, my dad, Andy. How you doing, mate? I'm doing well, mate. Yeah, fine. Thank you. How's your uh, your week been? Another week of retirement? No, it's been a year now, hasn't it? Yeah, a year yeah. Retired. Just, just over a year. Yeah. Do you feel a year older? Um, I don't know, really. I, I feel... Uh... A year not having to go to work anymore. Better. <laughs> better. I feel a work a week. I'm blooming out. A year yeah, yeah. of not working better. Well, that's good. Three, three shifts, mate. See if it's killing me. Well, uh, well earned, as we know. But I mean, speaking of, do you feel a bit older and a bit more tired? We are going to come on to uh, to Cadwell Park in a minute. But first, just um, thought it was worth just adding, as always, a little thank you to our listeners. The the amount of viewers and and well, listeners, should I say that we are seeing that have subscribed to the show is going up and up and up and i think i mentioned on a one of the episodes before we've got an international footprint now um south africa spain argentina the netherlands germany america canada worryingly we have a listenership in russia now i don't know if this is something we need to be cautious about whether these are pro-war russians or whether it's just somebody randomly who's listening to the to the show, but yeah, I don't know. Do we do we give a political broadcast? I know we've we've branched into the educational sector. Um, do we dare dip our toe in the I'd, political? I'd probably move away from that one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends who it is, I guess. You know, if it's mm. if this is an innocent person in Russia or people in Russia that are into their bikes, uh, we're really sorry that, that the situation you're going through is what it is. Um, if it's not, and it's somebody that is pro-invasion of Ukraine, without getting too political, I guess we politely say, uh, feel free to foxtrot Oscar yeah. and not listen again. But, uh, well, look, you know, we're, we're not a political show, are we? We're, uh, we're all things motorbike. Yeah. So let's start with what we've been up to, um, a couple of road rides. But the main thing I want to talk about is Cadwell Park. So we were at Cadwell a couple of weeks ago for a track day. Um complete lottery in terms of weather we we did an early morning one and um yeah we were up and out the door at sort of five o'clock weren't we but bloody hell what what an experience what a track awesome isn't it it's 30 years since the last race uh why um, is it and it's, it's still as narrow as it ever was i could not believe how thin it is how narrow the actual surface is but well i'll ask you outright why is it such bloody hard work? I think it's something to do with the price of tarmac in Lincolnshire, which is extortionate. <laughs> so they, they built a basically built a footpath instead. We um, there was quite a crowd of us that went, and all good, no issues. We'll, we'll start with that. We had uh, one one of our sort of riding club, Andy, did a bit of grass cutting and. Mm-hmm. Cut a few. He did get the fastest lap time of the day, but we reckoned he he cut two or three corners and yeah. carved a bit of grass up. But the the one thing that was unanimous, we were all shattered at the end of the day, as we normally are with these track days. They're hard work, you know. You you work in the bike more than you ever would on the road. But but why is Cadwell so much more physically demanding? Well, than anywhere I've ever been. Which um, you go to somewhere like Snack, which is old World War Two airfield. It's it's flat. Cadwell Park. I've always said it's a roller coaster with the rails taken off, and well, it literally it is. You know. Well, I I found that probably the last session of the day, when I'm sort of hard under braking, as you are in a lot of spots at Cadwell, I I actually felt like my backside was shuffling forward in the seat. Now normally. Obviously, I'm, I'm the way I sort of ride when I'm on the brakes. You know, you see a lot of the top racers have got one of the legs hanging out and stuff already. I, I don't. I stay flat on the seat on the brakes, and then I sort of shuffle over and lean off as I'm tipping in. 
but I, I find normally at most tracks I'm, I'm pretty much you know pinned to the seat until I come off the brakes as I'm tipping in etc Cadwell the last session hard on the brakes and all of me is shuffling forward which I think is probably because my wrists my core my thighs had had enough but you've got to remember as well you watch it on the television the television tends to flatten circuits yeah um you actually get on a road round cadwell uh, Matt, come out the gooseneck down the hill at mansfield i mean it's oh you, you get 10 minutes into a, a session and your wrists are going in your, your arms you know and it's all in up 180 170 kgs of bike on what is a really really steep hill yeah um so yeah it's um well i was, I was shot i got at it I it was really so, really hard work but we, we well we packed the bikes away we were on the road at three yeah i think we, 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 we ditched the last couple didn't we well, i think the five o'clock get up didn't help i think that was a mm. bit of a school ball we should have gone the day before but well, we, uh, we said this in the last episode didn't we yeah. the track day guide that actually being up and out at 5am it probably oh, didn't God. help things but amazing so amazing circuit you know so many features and so much undulation bloody bloody hard work but the the one thing i sort of will say i do want to give um a bit of kudos to the photographer joel cooper i believe his name is joel cooper um obviously we, we didn't mention in the track day guide but when you go and do these track days you get photographers there and they publish all the pictures and you can go and buy them if you want he has got some absolute perlers of all of us over the mountain, front wheel, hooked right up in the air. I'm um, I'm far from a wheelie king. You know, I, I'm not very good. I've done probably a handful ever, and most of those have been accidental. He's um, he's caught me on the jigs and the rest of the lads with the front wheel hooked right up. So, yeah, a nice one there for uh, for catching what is a very rare picture of me doing a wheelie. But, I mean, generally, yeah, fantastic. Really hard work. Not an easy circuit to sort of learn, I don't think. You've got to go back there, haven't you? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, coming off Charlie's one, Charlie's two, and then you steep downhill, and the other one's eating the gears up. Just kept grabbing another, grabbing another, you know. I've got quite um tall gearing on. And in the day... At the bottom, I couldn't get me. He yeah. did. My helmet was stuck on the tank, and it, it was compressing the yeah. suspension. I didn't look what speed I was doing, but uh, I physically couldn't lift my head off the tank. Um, well, it, it's all that, um, that just takes it out. Well, it, I think know? it's it is that up down and and the sort of undulation, the changes in in, in you know sort of height and everything else that yeah. probably does it. Everybody at Cadwell talks about the mountain for obvious reasons. But actually, the best part of the circuit is um, coming off the start-finish straight and the first mm, uphill left-hander coppice. Yeah. Christ, like a slingshot. That's easy three figures. Well, I've watched a load of on-board stuff there, which I normally do before the track days, if it's a new circuit. And some of the quick lads are just rolling off there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite a long straight. You, you come out of Barnes the first right and then oh. what's the second right? Barnes the second one. Barnes the second one. Yeah, is it? it's old all, isn't it? Yeah, oh, sorry, that's it. And then you're out, long straight, so you're absolutely, you know, you're pinning full throttle, banging up through the gears. And as we were getting a bit more sort of confident and a bit quicker, you're going up coppice faster and faster, and it is just like a slingshot. Absolutely crazy corner. Fantastic. Really, really good when you can get it right. And you're sort of coming up, you're just hitting the top of the crest. And then it was down one. And then you've got that series of right-handers, which are all on the gas. It just very, very demanding, very rewarding circuit, though. Charlie's one. You, you can go in quite quickly because it's so steep. You don't need a lot of heavy braking. You can almost roll yeah, it yeah. and roll it. Pick the throttle back up. And then it, you're entering to Charlie's two. He's blind. Um all you've got is the horizon, and I learned it years and years back. But it took me a couple of three seasons to to actually nail it. And uh, you, 
you wait, 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 hold part throttle, and then just roll off and roll into Charlie's turn and shut throttle, which will get the bike to turn. Yeah. And then you just pick up and it's woof down the striper to. It's hard to learn because you can't think, oh, I've got it wrong, I've got it in a bit up and I've run wide. Because you run wide at Cabron, you're on the grass. So it's it's pretty unforgettable. You have to try and learn it and stay on the tarmac, and it's it's not easy at all. Yeah, very challenging. Um, I mean, you raced there back in the day, didn't you? I remember yeah, working around it. Yeah, I raced loads of times at Cabron. But some wins there. Yeah, I won my first ever race at Cabron. Was it Cabron? Yeah, 19, I can't remember, 1990 something. Yeah, um, in the wet. Yeah. On what? 250 LC, that was. Formula LCs. So when was that? So what, what? That would have been what back in the nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, ninety three, I think. Was that in the championship winning season? Or not? <coughs> no, that was ninety five. So how, how before that? So what happens when you get out and you're leading a race at Cadwell? I guess firstly, it's not that easy to overtake. No, you just got to really keep your focus on. I can remember um, prior to that first race win there. Um, we used to do the club circuit quite a bit rather than the full, which cut the mountain out. You'd turn a very sharp right before you got to the, the mountain and back on yourselves. But uh, I remember saying to the lads, right, the new lid's coming out. I think it was an FN, new crash helmet, brand new, probably 100 quid at the time. Um, and they're all saying, not good. I've got to wear it sometime. And um, was this a bit of a rider's curse then, was it? Oh, yeah, new helmet no, on? Either new leathers or gloves, boots, or lid. It was like the bloody kiss of death almost, <laughs> you know. And um, but my old helmet that had gone up the road a few times, mm. and some of the scrutineers they checked the date on it. And, it's a bit old, buddy, son, you know, it's like right, me. Um, so I got the new one out, put it on, and uh, two and a half laps it did. Uh, Charlie's one ran off the tarmac, front end tucked, so face planted. Um, sat there, watched the rest of the race. Um, but it, it was quite bizarre. I, unbeknownst to me, I got a concussion. So, sitting there, and the trees are blowing, I could hear the trees blowing. And the doctor is looking at me and talking, but I couldn't hear a word he was saying. Just his mouth moving. God. And um, then they took me in the doctor's car down to the medical centre. And looking at me, brother was driving. They weren't, they weren't going to let me go home. I said, you can't rise for the rest of the day. And um, so the, the doctor started having a look in my eyes. And, uh, what day is it? Where are you? And I think I told him. It was Thursday and I was at Mallory Park. <laughs> I couldn't have got that any wrong. Anyway, who, who have you come with? And I had to think. And I said, my brother, by this time, he, he pulled in after the race and obviously realised I'd gone down. Um, he came in. He said, I'm, I'm driving the car around, don't worry. And they said, well, he's not allowed to drive or he can't ride for the rest of the day. So... Yeah, the hundred quid brand new helmet, two and a half laps, and I came through it in a skip. Oh, it was, that it. was it, Troy. Yeah. You probably End wouldn't want to put a lid back on after binning it, would you? No, I guess. Especially you could afford it. The fact I face planted it. it uh, Jesus. Looked Did a bit you have strange. many concussions during the racing days? Because it would explain a lot. Yeah, I had one racing, and I had another one playing rugby, so I had two in my life. But do, do you know what? Actually, right. Let's diverge slightly away from our normal theme. We, we got a bit of flack in the first season of the podcast because we, we sort of digressed into rugby a couple of times. But okay. I do want to sort of ask you a question now on a bit slightly more serious point. Um, obviously, we, you know, follow the MotoGP quite avidly amongst the other racing classes. And we've spoken now so many times about Mark Marquez and some of these horrendous crashes he's having. Now, weekend just gone. Um, he's he, he came off again on the outlap I think it was in qualifying or practice he's he's gone out it started spitting with rain he's out on slicks on the outlap and he's had yet another horrible high side that Honda's thrown him off the long way over and he's he's sort of 
gone up, flipped vertically, and he's come down at a rate of knots, basically on his head and, and the back of his neck. Now, the reason I'm going down this road, right, rugby has done huge amounts now to improve player safety and, and yeah. you've got the concussion protocol. Yeah. And, you know, we, we listened to a few other podcasts, rugby ones included, and, and Steve Thompson was on there. England hooker, one of the best England hookers of all time. Um, he now suffers with early onset dementia. It's a tragic story. He's he's okay. He's fighting it and scrapping away, but he's, he has real struggles with it. And he's now campaigning for, you know, much much improved player safety and concussion well, protocol. He was in the 2003 World Cup winning team, um, which would be his greatest, his finest 80 minutes in his rugby playing live. And he's got no recollection of it. Apparently. You can't remember it, can he? No. That is awful. Well, they, they scanned his brain and, and they basically said the damage to his brain was akin to having several massive head traumas. So the reason I'm going down this road, do... Do, you know, does professional motorbike racing need to do something different around concussion and head injury? Now, I don't, I don't say that knowing what the position is today, but having watched that crash of Marquez's, I mean, it was an absolute stinker. He's come right down, clearly landed on the top of his head, back of his head, back of his neck. Totally appreciate, you know, they've got the absolute cutting edge of technology in, in safety helmet and things like that, but Oh God, I just don't feel very comfortable that he's then back out on the bike riding again. To, to be honest, Joe, um, I think they could do more. You know, um, Dorna could probably do with looking at other sports and seeing how they deal with it. I mean, the rugby, you go off, you have your HIA. Which uh, is an it, independent doctor. Yeah. It's not your own team doctor. It's a completely independent doctor. If, if he's not happy... You're not going back out. I don't think you play for three weeks. Yeah, two or three two weeks. Or three weeks, weeks yeah. yeah, and it should be the same with the boat race. And you know, the the impacts are as bad, even though they're wearing a, a helmet. You know, well that just I just watched it and I just thought again, Marquez. Oh, and I, it, being such a rugby fan as well, it mm. it now seems crazy to me that Marquez has been allowed to go straight back out on the bike and go and race again. It does seem bizarre, doesn't it? it? Well, it's certainly, it's not like he hasn't got any history with sort of concussive injuries. He had that that issue with his vision, didn't he, that was brought on by repeat head trauma. I can't remember the name of it now, but yeah. yeah. It's like um, he couldn't focus, could he? It was... I think I'd like to, um, it might sound a bit sort of sad, but I might look into what the sort of protocol is. and Not that I'm going to change anything, but uh, it'd be good to know because as much as we want these racers out there and, and, yeah, you know, yeah. absolutely hell for leather, banging elbows and all that good stuff. You also don't want to hear stories of riders in later life, you know, severely damaged by these impacts. And you look across other sports, I think American football probably led the way. So many ex-players ended up um, taking out lawsuits and things like that because they've all got like dementia and Alzheimer's at the age of 40. And they've proven now and linked it to head trauma. Rugby's doing a lot. Just be really interesting to to see what you know motorcycle racing's doing about it. But I'm just sickening crash and amazed that he's then back out on the bike. Sure. But he's he's actually now. Uh, we might as well step onto MotoGP while, while we're on yeah, the subject. Yeah. He's basically now retired from the rest of the season, hasn't he? To have his arm operated yeah. on again. What do you call it? A hiatus. A hiatus, yeah. yeah. So he's he's stepping out for the rest of the season. Um, Which, to be honest, you, I don't blame him. One job. Roll up the season off. Um, get yourself better and focus on next season. Yeah, 100%. Mm. But then it, it goes back to the same kind of argument we've had before or the same conversation we've had before. I, I mean, look, he, he's driven by sheer motivation and competitiveness oh, okay. of course he is now but you know marquez ain't that old and no, his no. body must be in pieces they reckon at magello that the commentators i think neil Hodgson said that got on commentary at magello that basically his arm isn't working that's it so uh, what did he come 10th or whatever it was in the end with one arm yeah with one arm basically and it's, i just think that's like, when, when he broke it badly 
it's they actually told him at the time whether you'll get a hundred percent use back of that arm, we can't guarantee it. So there's only so many times they can fix it. And the thing is you're ending up going down the route of like bionics, is you know, you're having screws and plates and all this kind of stuff put into it. Well, going back some years, the old five hundreds, uh Kevin Trance had to retire and he said I'm a danger not only to myself but to other riders because he said, down on the tank, flat stick in top, he said, sit up, grab the brake, and my wrist just rolls over. I can't keep my wrist where it should be. And he said, the brakes are getting more and more powerful. I can't stop my wrist rolling it's not over. strong enough to actually Yeah, I'm not actually bike. strong enough. So Sid, I had a, a few run-ons and just said to, to the boss, I'm done, you know, that's, I can't, I can't. I can't race safely or to the best of my ability. Well, it's, it's uh, easy for us to say, isn't it, that Marquez ought to hang his lid up, but he is not. I mean, look, he's super fit. You know, these are absolute athletes. I'm not questioning that, but he is not going to be in good shape when he's older. Mm-hmm. You know, no, forget the, the brain injuries and, and the head injuries. Stephen, his body. You look at some of the riders now, like John McGuinness, one of his but his legs is an inch shorter than the other. Do you remember watching Hutchie at the Northwest walking down the paddock to get onto oh, his bike? Dear. Oh, it was sickening. God could barely walk. T- took him half hours to get down the bloody paddock. Didn't barely he? walk, mate. And oh, they were going to amputate that. I mean, he nearly yeah. lost that leg. He said, no. He said, just give me something. He said, I'll put the gear change on the other side. Just give me something that sort of worked. It's, yeah, um, it's not it's, a very nice thought, is it? Tough luck. But, I mean, on the subject, and hopefully a, a few of the listeners will get the irony of this, I wondered if you and I might want to take the opportunity for the second, and definitely the last time this time, to recut our predictions for MotoGP. <laughs> let's let's go back a bit. Early season. Dear, dear listeners, please don't go to the betting shop and put money on. No. Some of our advice. Because we clearly... Jorge Martin. We clearly know sod all about bike racing. We started the season with Peko, didn't we? We both liked Peko Banyaya. Yeah, yeah. Who had a really, really ropey start to the season. So we, we took the opportunity to recut two or three rounds ago. And I think we both liked the idea of, of Jorge Martin. Yeah. Who has since crashed three times. And, and had a seventh or whatever it was. It's like we almost jinxed. Well, the I don't it? want to say anything yeah. now, but reality, we, we clearly got it totally wrong. But also, there's a hell of a lot happening in and around MotoGP at the minute. Oh, Teams, God. you know, re-signing contracts and whatever. So, I mean, well, let's start with the championship. Quattararo's out ahead. Um, and I would say unsurprising, but I, I think it is quite surprising given where that Yamaha is in comparison to some of the other bikes? Well, I was, I think I rang you up or text you. Um, watching the qualifier <clears throat> and uh, said, oh, Quattraro has gone through the traps at 214 miles an hour. And I thought, oh, they've done a bit of bit of aero work, Yamaha. I think they took some off yeah. to get it to slip through the air a bit better. So that's pretty good, that, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, Bagnar's just come through at 226. Good God. I mean, if, if you were walking and somebody walked past you at 12 miles per hour, it's pretty fast. Oh, you know. like we said, if you're out on your bike somewhere, and I don't advocate this for one second, and you're doing 126, you're getting a bit of a lick on there, and somebody comes past you 100 miles an hour quicker. Yeah. <laughs> That to me, that sums it up, doesn't it? Absolutely insane. Despite that, and despite questions over the bike, what he's doing next season, and all these other question marks, Quattararo remains arguably the best rider on that grid. For the results he's had on that Yamaha, the, the relative consistency he's had, and the fact that he's handful of points clear at the top of the table, pretty impressive, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. So, what are his what you know? What are his options? Where's he going to go if he doesn't stay with Yamaha? Based on the fact they can't give him the bike he wants, 
where will he go? Or conversely, despite not having the bike he wants, if he still goes on to win the championship, what happens? Does he stay? What? Why would you win the championship and leave the team? We, we know it's deficiencies. It's basically, it's, it's lacking top end. And I think it's going to be the only in line four next year that's out there. Well, I the, mean, in this the, yeah. the satellite team have said, no, thanks. We're going to Aprilia. They're going to Aprilia. So there's only so, going to be the factory MRR team. Yeah. So you've got technical input from one rider at the pointy end and the other one who's struggling at the back of the field. So... So I don't know what he does. It, it, or, or is all of this rumour, hearsay and, and noise about him looking for a different ride, is that all just knee-jerk reaction? Because it was very clear how, I mean, it ain't slow, but how relatively slow the Yamaha was to everything else early on in the season. Yeah. But actually, like he always does, because he's so bloody good, he's riding around it and he's still top of the championship anyway. Yeah. Does it all just disappear, go quiet, wins the championship again and carries on again? And it, if you notice, <clears throat> you never badmouth Yamaha. No. You know, you never see him back in the, the in the pit line and throw the bark at the mechanics and have a bit of a hissy. He's always, you know, he's, he's the um, consummate professional, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. But he, he is on the track as well. I said to you, you know you watch him, his overtakes are always clean. Oh, he never sits anybody up. Well, he is an absolute quality rider. But... So clinical, isn't he? He's just... I mean, you look at the way he rides that thing, you know. He, he is good. He quite clearly has to make up for lack of straight line speed well, in other places. Magello, he, on um, What is it, Bagnar at the front, wasn't it? Yeah, Peko yeah. won it, yeah. Uh, Peko. He pulled three tenths. Around the twisties on him, which in one lap is a lot, and then lost exactly three tenths at the start and finish, which is an improvement to where it has been. Yeah. Well, but the other point is though, if and it's a big if, if he did leave Yamaha, where would he go? So arguably, the best package is the Ducati. Now there are riders queuing up for Ducati seats. Um. We know that Jack Miller's lost his seat on the the, the factory bike. And has got to, well, there's eight teams yeah. on the grid, and they that's obviously at the minute made up of let's get this right, uh, Banyoya and Miller and the factory team. You've then got Zarco and Martin on the satellite team. You've then got Bezeki and um, Marina. Yeah, Marini, Luca Marini. Yes, they ran well, didn't they? Very well. Early doors. And then Bastianini and DG Antonio yeah. on the fourth team, in the fourth team. Now, for me, if Quattararo was looking at a different ride next year, and I, you know, hypothetically it was Ducati, depending on what they're going to do with the second factory seat, which I think is likely to be Bastianini, well, question one, would Quattararo, would Quattararo go and ride for a satellite team, maybe on you know last year's bike, etc.? The other thing, Joe, if you're if he does win it this year, which is every chance of him yeah. doing that, hey, well, I'm going to make my I'm world champion. I'm riding in your well, satellite team. But he'd, Ducati, he'd have to have the full factory, wouldn't he? Let's say, for argument's sake, Bagnaia and Bastianini make up the factory team, two Italians on the big red bikes. Yeah. I think Duke, there's a bit of culture around Ducati. I think they want two Italian riders. Oh, God, yeah. yeah at yeah. least. Well, most most of the eight riders are Italian. I don't think they want... I don't think they'd, they'd deviate away from that. I'm assuming no. it's going to be Bastianini. Yeah. Um, there's apparently a bit of a two, three-way race for that final seat, so we don't quite know yet. But then, obviously, yeah, so Yamaha are ditching it and going to Aprilia. As we know, and we always say, big fans of Aprilia on the show. We've both Ooh, yeah. owned, stroke own, a few yeah. over the years. Alicia Spargro. We keep talking about him like it's this one-off heroics. He's, he's, he's our new pick, listeners. Yeah, is that who we're sticking on? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I'll go Alicia with that. Spargro, yeah. Right, we'll be on the new pick. Yeah, watch him go backwards next time. Team Alage. <laughs> but it's no longer a surprise to see him in the top three. I no, think no, no. The last now 
four or five races he's been on the podium. I think it's been a win and and three or four third places. But as a result, he's second in the championship. Yeah. He's a, a handful of points behind um Quattararo. I think Bastianini's in third, a bit further back. And then I think it, it was before Magello, it was Alex Rins in fourth, who was way back, 30, 30 points mm. behind them. <clears throat> so could and, and is it beyond the realms of possibility? Could Alicia Spargo win the MotoGP World Championship on an Aprilia? It, all it needs is Quattro to to lose it in qualifying, bust an arm. I would not, wouldn't wish this no. on him or any other rider, but you know they're, they're, they're fine margins that they're riding to. You've got to be on the edge, or you're not in it. And, um. As you assume with Marquez, it was something befell Quattraro and he had a tumble and he missed a couple of three rounds. All of a sudden, Espargo's in the driving seat, isn't it? So it's easily done, isn't it? And you know, not, the way how many the... rounds are left, you know? Oh, I'm not sure. No. It's a lot. It's a it's a heavy calendar, isn't it? Moto GP, mm. so there's a lot of rounds, but it, it's with the way the format is now, um, with with the way qualifying is structured and, and obviously all the different practice sessions. It's easily done. Yeah. yeah. How many times you seen Marquez on the back row and, and various others? It's easily done. So, all right. Well, then we're sticking with the leash. No more mulligans now, though. That's final. Okay. Until it goes wrong, and then we'll repick. But <laughs> fickle, aren't we? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, generally though, some good riding again. But there's, there's a hell of a lot of noise and news around MotoGP at the minute. Obviously, Jack Miller's lost his seat, and he's he's going to the factory KTM team. I don't know how I feel about that. He's, he's a big part of MotoGP, isn't he? He's a big character. Oh, he seems very loyal, doesn't he? He's a hell of a rider. Mm. But I guess if you're Ducati, if you're the factory Ducati team, you know you want to you want to win a championship. Mm. And Jack Miller's on any given day is a race winner. But, excuse me, but is he a championship winner? Well, Probably he does. Not. Well, he has done this season. He's, he's blown up and cold, hasn't he? Um, usually when it's been in different weather, not fully wet, not dry. Yeah. He seems to go well. He excels in them, you know, not renewals conditions. But, yeah, he's other times you'd think, where's Miller? You know, he's, yeah. he's way off it. So Interesting. That's, that's what Ducati would look at. They're not going to look at a single uh, lap time or qualifying time. I think, God, this lad's fast. I look, you know, the big picture for Ducati, they want the manufacturers. Yeah. And they want the winning rider. Yeah. And everybody got out and buy Ducatis. And arguably, looking at the results, and well, more importantly, looking at the championship standings, it's not Jack Miller, is it? Bastianini's probably your, your man yeah. for it. Yeah. Plus, Bastianini's already had a year on last year's bike anyway, so he's pretty, pretty up to speed. But and then you've got your two unemployed Suzuki boys. Oh, no, yeah. There's... There's too many riders and not enough seats at the minute. This is it, isn't it? And you know, you'd you would love nothing more than maybe Kawasaki to. I don't know. You can't just jump into it, but you know, to see a Kawasaki team there, to see well, we will well, see now two Aprilia teams. Interesting, Joe. Kawasaki already made the announcement. Yeah, we're not out. not interested, one Joe. I mean, you just the, you'd love to see more variation, wouldn't you? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great that Ducati can can put the funding and the resource in, and, and they've got team sponsors and a good enough bike to have eight bikes on the grid. But mm. I mean, I, I remember watching sort of the the Grand Prix as it were when I was a kid, and Honda, 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 Honda. You, you know, you you want that variation, I think. So, well, I mean, we'll have to see what happens, but ultimately. There's a slot to fill. Yeah. They're, they're all, the way it stands at the minute, we're going to have two Aprilia teams, four Ducati teams, two Honda teams. I'm guessing two KTM teams still. Yeah. No Suzuki, one Yamaha team. So we'll see. It'll be interesting, all to play for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, them two Suzuki guys, they're no mugs. I mean, they won it. The yeah, he was world champion the year before last. <laughs> yeah. But again, though, it just—it's so competitive now. On any given day, at any given track, mm. 
you can have you know any of those riders can have been could have been top three the previous meeting and bottom three the one following oh also as well joe don't forget Lynn jarvis has made the announcement there's no seat for top rack well yeah the my, Supers. my he's, other he's um, not coming to ojo gp there's no seat for him my other so. prediction is Proven to be complete bollocks again. <laughs> um, yeah, Top Rack won't be going to MotoGP. Oh, crying shame, because I think he, he's well suited to it, but... We call him Top Rack because we can't pronounce... Rats... 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 Cloth in Superglue. Rats... Gatley I'll just call him Top, top Rack. Well, or even the commentary do, don't they? Yeah. Top Rack. He's the only rider in the grid that's only known by his first, first name. <laughs> it's a shame because I, I think he's the type of rider that would lend its, you know, lend his sort of style really well to MotoGP. Yeah, but yeah. Too, there's too many riders and not enough seats. That's the problem. And it's, it is another point, which we won't get into today, but obviously we were talking about the, the unspoken aspects of professional racing in terms of the money, weren't we? Oh, yeah. And I'd, I'd love to know where the money is. I've read different things about average money and average salaries. I've also read that, and we'll tedious link into World Supers, but I've also read that Johnny Ray is on miles more than anyone else on that World Superbike oh, really? by a flying mile, apparently. Such is the reason that that Jonathan Ray will ride the factory Kawasaki in World Supers till he retires, and he won't go anywhere else. He won't move teams. He won't move classes, because actually, from what I read, no one can afford him. Oh, really? He's he's on a small fortune. If if I was Mister Kawasaki, I'd be. Well, you'd pay him the money, wouldn't you? Yeah, you you'd be moving heaven and earth to keep that guy. You know well, he's. He is well, now is he seven world titles? Seven now, isn't seven, it? Which yeah. makes him officially the GOAT Based, of yeah. world superbikes, the greatest of all time. Yeah. Foggy did five, I think. I think it was Foggy mm. at five, yeah. But called it a few weeks ago that the, the world supers, mate, is some racing at the minute. Yeah. Those, um, the, the three lads out front. Now, I would say it's almost two races now. You've got, essentially, you've got Top Rat, Alvaro Batista and Johnny Ray. In their own three-way battle, they're, and then everyone else behind them. They're on another postcode, aren't they? Every weekend. Did you see Ray lose the back at one corner towards the end of the race? Funny talk. Gee, I thought he was off. I did. It was smoking. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Who's the, the, the three of them? To be honest, chucking that over them. I, I couldn't start the start of the race, so. Rail win this or top box, it's top box, now. top box. Yeah, <clears throat> it's been awesome to watch. Yeah, and I've good. you know, I've sort of it's a weird one. I've never moaned about it because obviously Johnny Ray is British and, and you know, the greatest world super rider of all time now, so we celebrate that. But it was getting boring, mm. you know. Bautista came in on, on the big red dude on the Panigale, blew everyone away for a third of a season and then crashed every week. I think if he can keep on that and keep some consistency, we know how good Top Rack is. We know Johnny Ray's the greatest of all time. I don't know who to call. I don't know who you go with. I think Bautista's leading the championship at the minute, just followed by Jonathan Ray, followed by Top Rack. Not a lot in his... Uh, um, I think as well, poor old Scotty Reddington's got his work cut out of that boomer, isn't he? Well, it's promise. So much for a good number of years now that BMW and nobody can get it to deliver. Can well, they? I mean, there's been signs of improvement. Yeah. He had, I think, he had a fourth at uh, was it Estoril? I think. Hard to yeah, hard to say. I, I don't know. It, but... It's that last little bit that those three have got, and he just you know, well, it was the same with Tommy Sarks. I think he gave up on it in the end, and you know, just can't quite get him to work. Well, just on, on the subject of superbikes, we'll just touch briefly on, on the British superbikes. Now, we, we spoke a few weeks ago, when we often do, about MotoGP and the manufacturers, and, and we've just spent 10 minutes talking about, relatively speaking, how shit the Yamaha is in MotoGP. Come a bit closer to home to British superbikes. How good it is. <laughs> oh, it's storming. 
And what's brilliant, I mean, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the Jeep. Uh, of course not. Of in course fact, not. it's blue and it's an inline four. <laughs> no renders, but uh, it, that is really going well now. It's, it's great to see because we've always sort of followed him, haven't we? A bit, you know, young, young Bradley Ray. Yeah, it's great to see that Brad Ray's back at the sharp end again. He, he sort of fell off a cliff for a couple of years, changed teams a couple of times, or changed bikes a couple of times. The Suzuki, wasn't it? He yeah, he was on the Suzuki for a year, but he's right back at the sharp end. So good racing as always. But again, complete polar opposite to MotoGP. The, the Ducatis are nowhere in Brit Supers. <sighs> now, rumour has it, I think I've told you this before, um, they lease those Ducatis from the factory and each bike, there's two riders and they'll have two bikes. Um, and each bike is a quarter of a million. Uh, and you get a technician flies over from Italy with that. So Leased or do you get to keep no, the technician leased. after? Oh, yeah, keep the technician. Yeah. You just take him over. Yeah. I'm halfway through a calf racer build. I can't <laughs> yeah. get it to run well. Crack on. Have a look. Yeah. yeah. Anybody from Ducati Rings, Wayne Senior. Yeah, just. Jump in the garage. But yeah, that was um, that was touted about. Um, so Birdie, he basically is a million quid down and they haven't turned a wheel. So, and I would imagine um, he's standing there watching Brooks and Sykes in 8th, 9th, 10th, thinking, well, that was a million pound well spent. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's their fault, but they've obviously made... I think there were tyre changes or something, and Brooks just he hadn't got that feel for it anymore. Um, such fine margins. Isn't yeah, it? Josh, Josh Brooks has always been there or thereabouts in Brit Super. Yeah, so is Tom Sides. Oh, well, God, yeah, yeah massive pedigree. Uh, and it's almost like the old guard scrapping for 10th, and the young boys, you know, Carl Royd. Brilliant. To see. Rory yeah. Skinner, mate. What a rider. Things on its side, isn't it? He is classic. He is super. So, and obviously, Taz McKenzie, when he's back and fit, yeah, uh, it, it could be the changing of the guard. Um, it's good to watch. Yeah, it's good yeah. to watch. We'll, I mean, we'll, we'll try and do some this year. Yeah, we, we haven't been for a bit, have we? No. we? We've been to a few rounds of the Brit Supers in the past. Well, the best one was <laughs> we took the motor on, didn't we? Good riding. Had a weekend of it. There was bands playing and all sorts. See, they do it well. They, they do it very well. And, yeah. you know, I hope it picks up. I've, I've heard, um, I forget the guy's name now, but the, the circuit director of Silverstone talking about the, the British round of the MotoGP. He said ticket sales are good. Oh, looks right. likely to sell out. So, Hopefully, it means, you know, the crowds are coming yeah. back and, and that will cascade down into to Brit Supers as yeah. well, won't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. It's always good, but the support cups are great as well. You know, the Super Sport is excellent and, and some of the support well, cups, we always watch the British Talent Cup. Yeah. Um, over the years, I've been watching BSP for a long, long time now and usually I go with Carl, a friend of ours, and... We'd always say, oh, I can't wait for the year uh, 600 Super Sport race. you got Crutchlow, Sykes, uh, like Craig Jones, uh, some real names coming through. Bloody hell, it was elbows out, here we go. Honest to watch it, mate. It was well, you, brilliant. You, you look now, though, it's not entirely different. If you look at some of the, yeah. I mean, look. Does them a disservice to call them support classes, but okay. if you look at you know the, the the support classes at Brit Supers, absolutely littered with Isle of Man TT winners, Northwest yeah. Two Hundred winners, Cookstown, and and all these road race legends. Sorry, I'll just interrupt you there, Joe. We need to just make a small mention about uh, Jeremy McWilliams. Well, I'm going to come back to him at the end. Okay. I'm going to come okay. back to him to finish off with but littered with road race legends, you know, like Valis Cecilia and guys like that. But actually on that point then let's let's finish by talking about the Northwest two hundred. Just one second, sorry. A big massive up. Uh, always been a big fan of his and his brother, Glenn Irwin, first time at the T T he's dropped hundred and twenty two mile an hour. Yeah, Ninth fastest, isn't he? <laughs> that is unbelievable first time well he, he said oh, he's obviously been listening to the podcast and he obviously realizes that what i do before i go to a new track for a track day is i watch a load of onboard videos 
and he said he's been watching some onboard videos. Did he he's say he's good? Yeah. Said it's thanks to the Grumpy Biker show. Yeah, I'm, I'm ninth quickest at the first <laughs> time of asking. You're welcome, Glenn. But I mean, look, that, that lends itself nicely onto the northwest, and and obviously we've been over there, so we'll, oh, we'll talk about the whole experience. <laughs> Best place in the world. Before we talk about the racing, I mean, firstly, should probably make a, a con confession on air, and I know I broke the news to you about this recently, Dad, but you, you mentioned Carl there and, and you know, Carl's a good mate, um, does a bit of track riding with us and whatever else. And we've been on quite a few trips, um, either, you know, overnight track days, Brit Supers, days away and stuff like that. I, I want to sort of confess this to the listeners to get this off my chest, but we've maybe been on seven or eight trips away together where I've booked the accommodation and every time I've booked it, it's not even <laughs> every time I've booked the accommodation, I've told you and Carl that all they had was a double room. So pretty much <clears throat> seven or eight times we've been away and you and Carl have ended up in a double bed. And and I've had, you know, a twin room or whatever to myself, um, which has become a bit of a running joke now, hasn't it? I Ten years of spooning that bloke, Carl. Yeah. I know you, you've got a little nickname for each other. Do you want to tell the listeners no, what you call no, each other? No, I don't other? want to talk about it anymore. You don't, you don't want to tell the you listeners even funny. you call each other Dog and Beast. That's our nicknames. And yeah, Dog and Beast have been sharing double beds for the last <laughs> 10 years, which I thought was very funny. But um, but back to that, we obviously went to the last Northwest 200 meet before COVID. First time for me. You've been a few times. I mean, what an experience that is. I just love the place. Um. I've got to say, first and foremost, uh, the friendliest people yeah. you'll ever wish to meet, Northern Ireland. Um, I grew up, obviously, with all the troubles, and and I used to think, oh, I'll never go there. You know, it's um, up on the north coast, Port Rush. Scenery is stunning, but the people, they're just so friendly, aren't they? Absolutely fantastic. Well, you... Um... You and Carl, Dog and Beast, you ended up in the Belfast Times, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Was that, what, what was that they, for? They did, uh, there was a, a reporter there from the Belfast Times. We were sat in this garden, at this bungalow down by the Metropole where we always watch. So, I mean, so yeah, so yeah. For, for anyone's benefit that hasn't been there, pretty much everyone in that part of Northern Ireland that lives on the circuit opens up their garden. Yeah. For people to come and watch, and you pay a couple well, of quid, literally it goes to a charity. Was, I think it was three pounds, yeah. wasn't it, to, to, to be then, in that garden? All you've day. got all their toilet. It's their own homes, you know. You got all their toilet facilities. Dinner time, they'll get the bar before them. Couple of quid for a burger. Again, all goes to these charities. Um, great day, but yeah, we, we were sat on the floor in between racing, having a, a bite to eat and a drink, and she come over. This woman, she's got a camera. She told you mind doing an interview. They're all, you know, what about? She said, I'm just, I'm from the Belfast Times and I'm just trying to find where people have come from to come all the way over to, to Port Rush to, to come watch the racing. So, um, yeah, and we did it. And um, she said, Oh, well, give me a name and address. And uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks after I got back home, there's a newspaper cutting. We made the, uh, the Belfast Times. Uh, Quite good. It just amazed me um, that the whole area from sort of Port Rush, Port Stewart, Coleraine, and, and you know the surrounding areas, everything revolves around the northwest for that week. Oh god, yeah. It's and, and you know obviously in between the race days we were out having a you know sampling a bit of the the local crack as it were, <laughs> um, few beers, good laugh, you know, good food, meeting a load of the locals and stuff. And everyone, it, it felt like to me, all of the locals welcome the Northwest. You know, they oh, welcome the, the tourism yeah. that comes with it. I, I stood the one year. I don't think you'd come that year. Um, no, you hadn't, because me and Carl got twin bedrooms. Yeah, oh, yeah, you didn't have a double. <laughs> I didn't book that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just lent on the the, the, uh, the wall, you know, watching the racing. Irish guy next to me, he was there most of the afternoon. And... Um, we're chatting away, you know, like I said, dead friendly. Uh, the race, racing finished and the whistles go, the road's back open. And he put his hand out, shook me hand, and I said, oh, you know, what's all that? And he said, no, no, he said, 
you took took the trouble to come out here and spend your money in Port Rush. He said, I'm a local. I live here. He said, I'll, I'll show you around, mate. <laughs> nice bloke. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, we, we did spend quite a bit of money on Guinness, didn't we, uh, yeah, while we were over yeah. there, as you do. But uh, Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. But it, it amazed me when we went to that same house, that lovely, lovely old couple or older couple. Yeah. And we walked in and there's people saying hello to you and Carl, recognise yeah. you from the year before. The year before, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just brilliant. But be, before we talk about the good side of, of the racing and, and, you know, all the fantastic things, elephant in the room, right? We've got to talk about Dunlop. And, and you know the tire manufacturer, I mean, but also the same Dunlop that Michael Dunlop was sat on at 150 mile an hour when it basically split well, apart. He threw his his seat in himself. There was no seat in it when you look at that photo. So that that incident triggered it, and then it. I mean, it, news doesn't travel that quickly, does it? At the northwest, no, you no. know, there's an incident, and it's kind of kept under wraps, and it gradually makes its way out. I mean, it's a, what, it's a seven and three quarter mile circuit, isn't it? Nine miles, whatever it is. News travels slowly, but it it came to light that effectively there was a a fault with the tire. The the sort of outer rubber had had sort of delaminated and split from the inner section of the tire. Basically, his tire fell to bits. It's centrifuged off, hasn't it? It snapped to pieces, yeah. It bust off the mudguard, bust off the whole seat unit. Um, I read on one of the forums online that somebody caught a piece. Somebody watching has caught a piece of tyre and took it home with them, yeah. After that, it's obviously all, excuse the pun, but it's all unravelled a bit. Dunlop have effectively said, we think there's a fault with the batch of rear slicks that we've provided to all of the Dunlop riders. We are recommending that all of the Dunlop riders pull out so you got to the final Superbike race and, and the grid was half empty. The likes of Peter Hickman, um, I think John McGuinness, uh, I want to say maybe Alistair Seeley. There, there were several big-name riders on Dunlop that didn't ride. <sighs> Mate, not well, good, this, is it? Fast forward now to the TT and Dunlop, but we've drawn all the rear slicks. It's not they're, good. They're offering the riders uh, treaded rears, which... Like as I, you know, a, a treaded tire will, will get hotter. It might go out well, of you, heat in, range. That's why you have slips in it. But. And road racing differs because there isn't a track in the world where you are at full speed, no. full throttle for two, three, four mile sections. It, it just doesn't happen. But I, it's 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 worrying if you're a Dunlop rider. You know, you're thinking. I think there's two things in it for me. That the first thing. Credit to Dunlop by openly saying, look, there is a problem. We recommend the riders don't ride for their own safety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, there, there wouldn't be the first massive kind of multinational organisation that would brush something like this under the carpet. So fair play to them for that. But ultimately, they're one of, if not the biggest tyre manufacturer in the world. Dunlop Michelin, isn't it? I mean, God, it's not, yeah, not it's a good look for them, is it? But- if what well, I can't, and I'm totally with you on that one, Joe. They've put their hands up, said we're, we're withdrawing the tyres from our, our top riders, um, and then put out a statement saying we believe it's a faulty batch, yeah. which fair enough. But all of a sudden, why they got to the TC? And I, I would guess when they do a run. They'll have a batch number on. Of course they will. So yeah. they can, if there is an issue, yeah, they're, they're, all batch, batch, yeah. Yeah. they're all batched up and they can they can pull them back in house and destroy them. But I just find it a bit strange. Well, has there been another bad batch that have yeah. got to the TT? Or is it a design flaw? Yeah, and then they've had to say at the TT, we can offer you treadings yeah. and that's it. But I mean, luckily, yeah, you know, no, no one was hurt. I'm sure Michael Dunlop, well, I... I was going to say, I'm sure Michael Dunlop needed a new set of pants, but he's been a road racer for years and years, and he's part of the Dunlop dynasty. He's got balls of steel. <laughs> probably just brushed his So he's probably, him. yeah. But Can you imagine the noise it would have made? <sighs> Great chunk of rubber coming off and smashing the seat unit completely off Unreal, it. Unreal, mate. Fortunately, yeah, it, it wasn't as bad. It could have been a lot worse, but um, not a good look for Dunlop. No. On the racing front, though, absolutely 
brilliant as always you know awesome racing and and i think you know people watch on telly and they get a bit frustrated that the race gets delayed and it gets postponed and some of the racing gets cancelled from having been there you know the safety of the riders is paramount mm-hmm. and and it's got so much better if there are questions over grip over weather conditions etc they they yeah, you know they, they it's safety first isn't it always yeah. so not too frustrated about that but a few honourable mentions, I think. Um, Alistair Seeley picked up uh, another few wins. I, I want to say now he's now the most successful ever Northwest 200. I think he is. Racer. Yeah. The wee um, wizard. The wee wizard. Yeah, he sent you a message for your birthday. He did, yeah, the wee wizard. So uh, yeah, tip of the cap to uh, Alistair Seeley. Yeah. Um, Glenn Irwin just looked absolutely phenomenal on that Honda. Davy Todd. Yeah. Awesome, awesome rider, David Todd, right on the raggedy edge of things. But I'm going to wrap up this this episode, and you've, you've sort of stolen my thunder earlier already, Sorry. but we've got to wrap up this episode, given that we are the Grumpy Biker Show, and, and that's a bit of a play on words about the fact that you're 62 and you're still out riding and you're, you get ever so grumpy. 61, are you? Yeah, last week. I knew it was your birthday last week. Yeah, I thought 61. 62. Oh, there you go. Cheeky have a year back. Yeah, thank but, you. <laughs> they're very precious. <laughs> well, but but look, the the sort of hero from this episode has got to be Jeremy uh, Jeremy McWilliams. Jeremy McWilliams. 58. 58 years old. Came third in the Super Twin race, I think, on the yeah. Thursday night. Unbelievable. Absolute top class i remember being probably eight or nine years old watching jeremy mcwilliams on the chesterfield aprilia 502 stroke yeah. in moto gp yeah the guy has been around forever he's, he's brilliant when you watch if you watch an interview with him check his fingers because he's had that many injuries no two, bro. No, no two fingers pointing the same direction i watched an interview years ago and he got his hands in his pocket you know um, it was Whitam, I think. Well, hey, right on, Jeremy. Well, what's your worst injury? Well, I brought him quite a few of these and dislocated them. <laughs> oh, they were all over the shop. He's on his fingers. Unreal. 58 years old and that he's still out man. picking up podiums at the Northwest. And this, you know, like a lot of people out there that, that like the track racing and stuff like that, if you haven't watched any road racing, I mean, it's exactly what it says on the tin. Is a, a nine-mile sort of triangular-shaped um, circuit that's that's marked out. It goes from I think Coleraine to Port Rush to Port Stewart. What did they touch two hundred eight this year? Two hundred eight mile an hour. Yeah, Jeez. Peter Hickman. And that's like roaring past your eyes. Well, it, it literally <laughs> is. And where we go and watch, you are the the width of a footpath away from the apex of a corner. It's it's great when they've got the clear visors on. You can see the whites of their eyes, can't you? And they're absolutely, they're like so, saucepan lids, the eyes, you know. It's like you nothing else I've it. ever it's seen. And the, the main difference, though, between that and the TT, the TT is obviously a time trial. The Northwest isn't. So no, they're lined up a proper, on a grid yeah. under starters' orders. And it is elbow-to-elbow elbow racing. It is absolutely crazy. So Jeremy McWilliams at 58 to bag a third place. Oh, that's up to you, mate. Awesome, awesome stuff. Absolutely inspiring stuff. Um, but yeah, that that's the wrap up on the racing world. Obviously, we've got a lot more to talk about. We've got, you know, we need to record a few more episodes. Yeah, yeah. We want to talk about the bike shed London show. Um, talk oh, about what we're doing with yeah. our bikes and and we won't, loads and loads. We of won't mention the bike shed show yet. But we'll get uh, to that. We had um, a pretty special day last Sunday there. Awesome. What a place! Absolutely. If you're into your bikes and nice food and a drink, uh, you you just died and gone to heaven. That's all I'll say. It's a lovely, lovely place. And the bikes are absolutely mind-blowing. Awesome stuff. Right. So we'll wrap up then, I think. Yeah. As usual, as as the the grumpy biker, any uh, final thoughts, pearls of wisdom, or anything you'd like to... Share with our international audience well, now. If, if nobody minds, I've got a funny little quick rugby story, which I heard today. Right. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, we'll, what I'll do, we'll snip this, record it in a different section, and if 
Okay. I'll I'll determine how funny it is and we can edit cool. it out. Knock it off then and start again. Well, you are still listening to the Grumpy Biker Show. Uh, this is the, the Grumpy Biker himself and his final thoughts for this episode. This involves the England rugby team in 2007 and they've made it to the final against South Africa and James Haskell, uh, ex-England back rower, he's telling the story and he's telling the story about Mark Regan, uh, the hooker, who not the fizziest drink out of the fridge was Mark. So... Regan decides to give this inspirational talk before the game in the dressing room. So he said, uh, it ain't been a good start for us lads, and uh, but we're going to be like the, the pheasant out of the ashes. So we're going to rise up. And the lads went, whoa, whoa. They, his nickname is Ronnie. Obviously, yeah. Ronnie Ring. Ronnie, Ronnie, it's the phoenix. He went, all right. He said, oh, I thought it began with an F. <laughs> 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 True story, apparently. <laughs> right. Very good. Right. By the way, just as we go and, and carry on recording the shows, that is an opportunity for you to tell one of your shit jokes, but we'll we'll let it ride for this okay. episode. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, look, that's a wrap. Thank you very much, Dad. We'll uh, we'll speak to you all very soon. Okay. Cheers, guys. All the best. Ties down. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Grumpy Biker Show. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on any and all major podcast platforms. You can also follow us and our progress and our builds and updates on what we're doing at AMJ Motorcycles on Instagram. Until next time, where we will be coming back to talk about the Bike Show London, um, some updates on our Cafe Racer build and some other exciting news with some special guests that are joining the show. Take it easy, keep it tires down. Thanks. Thank you.